It's Monday, November 4th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. As firefighters work to contain the California wildfires, the state's largest utility company has been keeping customers in the dark, literally. Then, a rock has been consumed by weeks of violent protests. And lately, demonstrators have been turning their attention squarely on their neighbor, Iran. And finally, if you're feeling stuck in a rut lately, well, we've got a century-old boat for you to meet. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story today is about wildfires in California. As firefighters try to contain the blazes near Los Angeles and in Sonoma wine country, a bigger debate has been smoldering over the large for-profit power company that's been cutting power to homes to prevent more fires. Many say that the company in charge isn't handling this right. So today, we're going to get into the latest on the California fires, why a company called PG&E is taking heat, and why some people say it might be good for the public to take over the company. Let's get into it with a quick fire update. The fires in L.A. and Sonoma wine country that started a few weeks ago are still burning, but firefighters are making progress. Even so, many people in California are still up in arms. One big reason has to do with a company called Pacific Gas and Electric, or PG&E. It's been around since 1905 and is one of the largest power companies in the country. About 16 million people, a little less than half of the population of California, get their natural gas or electricity from PG&E. PG&E is being criticized for two things in particular. One, for helping cause the wildfires, and two, for the way it's recently tried to prevent them. In 2017 and 2018, Californians experienced the deadliest and most destructive fire seasons in California history. A state investigation found that a dozen fires in 2017 were caused by downed power lines or by trees being blown into power lines, and that PG&E was responsible for numerous code violations. In May, a similar report about the 2018 fire season found that PG&E power lines were responsible for causing the deadliest fire in California history, which killed 85 people. The company estimates its liability for that one deadly fire in 2018 could be $10.5 billion, and that its total wildfire liability for the last couple of years to cover things like victims' compensation could be closer to $30 billion. In order to cover those costs, PG&E filed for bankruptcy earlier this year. For scale, it was the sixth largest bankruptcy in U.S. history. So, huge deal. And as that bankruptcy plays out, PG&E went into the 2019 wildfire season with a plan. If forecasts showed a high risk of fire, the company would just cut off the power to possibly millions of customers to avoid starting more wildfires and avoid any future liability. And over the past few weeks, that's what they've done. At one point, close to 3 million people across California had their power shut off. That's created all sorts of other problems, like for people who need power for things like dialysis or breathing machines. After a few days, some families had to throw out everything in their refrigerators. The power cuts also shut down cell towers, making it difficult for people threatened by wildfires to get information about them. On top of all that, cutting off the power hasn't fixed the problem. PG&E says it thinks some of its equipment may have caused some of these new wildfires anyway. And the company has gotten flack for the way it has defended its actions. 
On Friday, CEO Bill Johnson was criticized for this answer. A reporter asked what he'd tell families struggling to pay to restock their entire fridge. You know, one of the things we did was give them the opportunity to actually refill their refrigerator because their house is still there. PG&E's reputation and its business are on the line. PG&E is a publicly traded company, and it's been accused of prioritizing the needs of shareholders over investing in those of consumers. Politicians are starting to wonder if PG&E needs a total overhaul or shouldn't exist at all. On Friday, California's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, floated the idea of a public takeover of the company. One way to do that is called municipalization and would involve cities each buying up parts of PG&E's infrastructure. Another California politician calling for PG&E to be transformed into a fully public utility is Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna. Here he was on CNBC last week. The facts are very clear. They have failed to make investments in the upgrading of their infrastructure. The regulators have been way too loose. There's not enough accountability. It's time for the state to take ownership of PG&E. This is not a new concept. The state of Maine is drafting plans to replace its investor-owned power utility with a public one. And similar plans in Chicago and New York are reportedly also winning support. No matter who owns the utility, climate change is expected to lead to drier conditions, higher winds, and increased fire risks in California. The state's going to have to figure out how to fireproof its electricity grid. One long-term fix could be to bury electrical wires underground so they're not waving around being fire hazards. But that could cost up to $3 million per mile. Doesn't exactly sound like the kind of thing a bankrupt company would take on. So what's the skim? California's latest wildfires are starting to be contained. But now many are looking at PG&E and asking why they're relying on this for-profit company to decide the best way to prevent future fires. And for a lot of people, the decision by PG&E to cut power for millions, in part to reduce its potential financial liability for fire damage, was the final straw. Now, prominent politicians in the state are calling for PG&E to maybe be taken over by the government. One commentator even called for people to just stop paying their PG&E bills in order to wreck the company's finances and make it cheaper for local and state governments to step in and buy up the pieces and presumably get the ball rolling on longer-term infrastructure fixes that work better at preventing wildfires than forced blackouts. Coming up, protests in Iraq are heating up and demonstrators are calling on a neighboring country to mind its own business. That's next. While we take a break, we want to tell you about a new tech news podcast from Recode called Reset. It's hosted by Ariel Duzem Ross, former science reporter for The Verge and the first climate change correspondent on American Nightly TV News for Vice News Tonight. Ariel will explore the unexpected ways technology impacts our everyday lives and how tech is fundamentally changing our humanity. The first episode of Reset is available now. Subscribe to Reset for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. The anti-government protests in Iraq show no signs of cooling off. Over the weekend, three protesters were killed and 19 were wounded during a demonstration that got violent outside an Iranian consulate. Today, security forces opened fire and killed at least five more protesters in Baghdad. Since these protests began last month, more than 250 people have been killed. There are a few dynamics at play here. First, Iraqis are angry with the government, which many see as corrupt. 
Many there are living in poverty and have little access to things like clean water. Plus, they're upset that the government isn't doing more to address the country's unemployment. But the unrest has also snowballed into pushback against Iraq's neighbor, Iran. Since the fall of Saddam Hussein in 2003, the majority Shiite Iran has become a powerful ally of the Shiite-led Iraqi government. In more recent years, Iranian-backed militias were key players in helping defeat ISIS in Iraq and Syria. These situations have helped Iran build up influence in Iraq by backing Iraq's political parties and security forces. And now, many Iraqis are saying, time to back off. They're upset with a government they see as too tied up with foreign powers. Like we said, the protests have turned violent. Iraqi security forces have responded with rubber bullets and tear gas. Human rights groups have also accused Iranian-backed militias of both killing and abducting protesters. Iran's actually taking heat from multiple sides here. We told you last week about similar anti-government protests in Lebanon, where Iran is also allied with politicians. Last week, Lebanon's prime minister agreed to resign. Mostly Shiite Iran is a powerhouse in the Middle East, fighting against the mostly Sunni Saudi Arabia for control of the region. If these uprisings in Iraq and Lebanon lead to an overhaul of Iranian-backed governments, that could have negative consequences for Iran's influence. And this unrest also comes as Iran continues to give the middle finger to the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, the one in which lots of countries, including the U.S., tried to keep Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons in exchange for loosening tough sanctions. President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the deal last year and reimposed those sanctions on Iran. In response, Iran's been slowly ramping up its nuclear activity. The latest move came today, when Iran's government said, look at our fancy new centrifuges, ones that allow the country to more quickly enrich uranium, which could get Iran closer to having enough material to build a nuclear weapon. Now, Iran says it doesn't actually want to build a nuclear bomb. Its goal is to pressure European powers that signed the nuclear deal to help ease the effects of the U.S. sanctions. But the U.S. and its friends are skeptical. Bottom line, between the protests in the Middle East and sanctions crippling its economy, these days, Iran is in a pretty tough spot. Airbnb is pulling the plug on house parties. On Saturday, the company that lets people rent out their homes said it's banning so-called party houses. This comes after a Halloween party at an Airbnb in a San Francisco suburb turned deadly. About 100 people were at the party when shooting broke out. Five people died. Airbnb said the house listing specifically banned parties. In response, Airbnb's CEO tweeted a thread of new policies, including no party houses, period. They'll expand manual screening of what they call high-risk reservations and create a rapid response team to deal with party houses. And if anyone breaks the rules and has a party, Airbnb could remove them. The company didn't say exactly what counts as a party house or how these new policies will be implemented. For now, they put together a team that will try to figure out how to make all of this happen within 10 days. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from the year 1918. 
That's when a boat used to dispose of materials in the ocean, called a dumping scow, disconnected from its tugboat and got stuck on some rocks in the Niagara River, nearly 2,000 feet away from going over one of the waterfalls. The two people on board the scow were rescued, but the boat's been stuck there for over 101 years. Until last week. Thanks to strong winds and heavy rain on Halloween, the scow finally got unstuck. Here's a Niagara Parks official. It appears to have sort of flipped on its side and spun around. It's not in the exact same spot it was yesterday. But it only made it about 160 feet before it got stuck again. TBD how long until it gets another shot at its great escape. It's a pretty epic thing to see. We've linked to the video in our show notes. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add The Skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.